0: Um, My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, it's Labor Day weekend and all that, and you are here laboring with me, so thanks for that. Thanks for being here with me. Uh, But also, uh, before we get into today's message, I wanted to touch base with you about what we're going to do next week. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a new series uh, that I believe has the potential to transform our church, transform our community, and even transform our world. And uh, this, I'm not even exaggerating, I really believe this, and our series uh, is going to be called Neighboring, Love Goes Next Door. And the idea is that what if Jesus, when he said to love your neighbor as yourself, and the Bible talks about loving our neighbors as ourselves over and over and over, what if Jesus, when he said that, meant it? That'd be crazy, right? What if Jesus, when he said neighbor, get this, meant neighbor? What if he didn't mean just some metaphorical neighbor on the other side of the world. What if he meant the people you actually live next to? Wouldn't that be crazy? If Jesus actually meant what he said? And what if Jesus was a genius and he set forth a plan that would take over the world, rescue the world one neighborhood at a time? If we would just follow that command and reach out to our neighbors. So we're starting a six-week series next week based on this idea, and it's going to be a, a great series. I don't want you to miss it. It's the launch of Life Groups next week. This series is going to be a big Sunday, coming back from Labor Day and all of that. Uh, so get here early, get a seat, because we're just going to... You just If it's full, you're out, all right? You're just... I'm kidding. We'll let you in. Uh, but it's going to be a great, great weekend, and uh, it's a great time uh, to bring your neighbors. neighbors. <laughs> you guys are not with me. It's okay. Um, first service was with me, so... I'm, I'm keeping score. I don't know if you are, but so neighboring Sartaines, we're calling church is, and we said uh, in week one that definitions matter, don't they? Uh, I mean, what's something about what something is, what its value is. We may say one thing with our mouths, but it's our our behavior, our actions that that actually prove and reveal what we believe about this thing in our heart. So you can say with your mouth that donuts are bad and they'll kill you and they're bad for your body. But if you say that while you're stuffing your mouth with hot and fresh Krispy Kreme donuts, otherwise known as crack cocaine, (laughs) then I mean that in a good way. Then, uh, then it's hard for me to believe that you actually believe that donuts are bad for you, right? You can say that, but it's really your actions that matter. If you, if you believe there is, is value in taking your wife out a couple of times a month as a date, in dating your wife, even though you're married to her, dating her, taking her out, then, then you'll do it, right? If you believe that that's true, then you'll actually follow through. You'll make time for it. You'll save money for it. You'll learn to date on a budget. You'll, you'll, you'll figure it out and you'll actually pull it off because your behavior is what reveals what you actually believe. If you, you can say that, that God is number one in your life. You can say that. But if you only show up to worship every once in a while, you almost never crack your Bible open to read it. And you, you pray to Him only when you need something. And you never give finances, your, your, your money to the Lord through the church. Doesn't that reveal that you don't actually believe that God is number one? I mean, isn't that what it reveals? Behavior follows belief every time. It's Maybe a tough truth, but it's a truth nonetheless, right? So with that in mind, it seems like a worthy endeavor for us to spend some time talking about what the church is, defining what the church is and what it isn't. So we can make some decisions and make our actions and our behavior line up with what the Bible says the church is. Because church is not hobby, social club, location, or, or religion. That's not what it is. Church is much more than that. If we can change our belief about what church is, it'll transform our lives and line us up with God's purpose and mission for our lives. And so we said in week one, church is family, right? Church is family. We talked about that. Ephesians 2.19. We are all members of the household of God if we've given our lives to Christ and submitted to him fully. And if, if church is family, then that means some things, right? We can't just say, yeah, church is family, and then go keep living our, living our lives the same. It, it means something. When we define something, when we nail it down, it has to affect how we live our lives. And so church is family should affect that. It's bigger uh, than, than just showing up here. And then in week two, we talked about how church is even bigger than just family. It's even bigger than us just getting together and relating to one another. Church is not just family. Church is mission. Church's mission, and we talked about Ephesians 3.10. We are the carriers of the manifold, big, all-encompassing wisdom of God to the world. We are the, to, to display the wisdom of God to the world. And so we're not just together hanging out. We're together striving towards something, striving towards the mission that God has given us. We're united by this common cause, which is much bigger than like Save the Whales or... Um, cage-free chickens, right? I mean, it's bigger than that. whatever you're into. It's bigger than whatever you're into, this mission that God has given us. So church is family, church is mission. If you missed those, go to iTunes, get the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how church is life. Church is life. If you have your Bible, you can head over to uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've been using that as the foundation for this series, and we'll be there in a moment. We'll also be looking at uh, a passage in the book of Acts, and so you can go to those two places. If you don't have your Bible, grab your phone, your tablet, head over to the YouVersion Bible app, hit event or live, and you'll get all of our notes today. And of course, they'll be on the screen. So uh, I know when I say church is life, some of you right off the bat, you're going, That's too far. You took it too far. Church is family. Church is mission, sure, but church is life. I don't know. It seems like he's taking it a little too far. Church is not life. I mean, I could say church. I could say Jesus is life, and, and you wouldn't really disagree with me, right? Because who's going to talk bad about Jesus in church, right? So you wouldn't really disagree with me if I said Jesus is life. But the church, nah, it's not that important, right? Nobody's going to say Jesus isn't life, but the church. That's 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 hard to believe that that's actually life. It's not that central, right? And listen, hypothetical person that I've created for my sermon, let me talk to you for a moment. I get where you're coming from. I do. I mean, I don't understand the the shirts you wear that say football is life. I don't get that. Soccer is life. Tennis is life. Basket weaving is life. I don't get that last one at all. I don't understand that, but I do understand where you would stand up and say, no, 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 Jesus is life, not church is life. I understand the dangers of putting church as an institution above Jesus as Lord. I get that. I get the church history. I get that we, in church history, made some mistakes and and started to exalt the, the church institution above Jesus. And we said, you gotta come in through the church to get to Jesus. And if we say you're not in, you're not in. If we get mad at you, You tick us off, we excommunicate you, now you're not going to heaven. I get how we can get it messed up, right? I understand that. But what I'm saying is that maybe we in our tribe have, in in reaction to that, swung the pendulum a little too far this way. Because we're all about personal salvation and personal Jesus and individual faith. And I get that. But we've kind of made church this secondary thing, even though the New Testament the majority of it was written with the context of the church in mind. It was understood through the lens of the church. But here's the thing. I'm not talking about church as an organization, church as a religion, or church as an institution. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about at all. When I say church, I'm talking about family. I'm talking about mission. I'm talking about the community of faith, I'm talking about the body of Christ, the flock of God, the bride of Jesus. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the church. I'm talking about you and me. So with that in mind, I'm saying church is life. But let me read you a passage of uh, scripture so that you don't think I'm making this up, right? Ephesians 1:22, um if you want to head over there, the apostle Paul is writing this prayer that he's been praying uh, in this chapter. He's writing this prayer that he's been praying for the church in Ephesus. And he's praying that they would have the wisdom of God, the spirit of the wisdom of God and, and He's talking about how their their eyes should be open to the power of Jesus and the inheritance in the saints and all these huge and lofty things, but he's praying for wisdom, and in that prayer, he mentions something that I think is pretty interesting. It's one of the things that he wants the spirit of wisdom to open their eyes to, and and so he wants the spirit of wisdom to open our eyes to this as well. It's Ephesians 1, starting in 22. It says this, "'And he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet,' and gave him as head over all things to the church, listen, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Did you hear what just got said? This sacred literature of ours, this inspired word of God that we go to for our source of truth, said that the church the body of believers, the community of faith, the family of God, you and me who follow Jesus together, that we, that the church is the fullness of Christ. Think about that. The church is the fullness of Christ. I mean, it's not just one of the things Jesus does. The church isn't just part of the package, it's not just one thing, it's it's not just family, a family that we come to to be taken care of when we're struggling, it's not just the vehicle that God has chosen to accomplish his mission in the world and let the world know of his manifold wisdom, it's not just those things, it's the fullness of Christ, Ephesians 1 said, it's all of them, here's what I'm getting at. I don't think you can separate church from Jesus. You can't. You can't separate Jesus in church. You just you just can't. When, when you're talking about a biblical understanding of church, this whole, I love Jesus, I just don't like church. I love Jesus, I just don't really go to the church scene thing. I'm just not really into that, but I do love Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. If you love Jesus, you'd have to love the church. It's his body. You can't choose parts of someone to love. That's not the way it works. You can't say to me, pastor, I love you. I just don't really like your body. That'd be weird, right? So don't say that. It'd be weird. But you get what I'm saying. You, what if you said that to your wife or your husband? I love you. I really do. It's just, your body makes me sick. That <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Your body offends me. Your body it has just too many imperfections. I mean, you're great, but your body just, oh, gosh, I love you, but your body, not so much. Now it doesn't make any sense, does it? And not only that, not only is, is the church the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, but Revelation 19 says that the end of this whole thing, the culmination of all that's going on, this big grand narrative that is God reconciling the whole earth back to himself through his son Jesus Christ, the ending of this, the grand finale is a marriage celebration, a wedding supper. A wedding party. The culmination of all this is Jesus being reunited with his bride. And who's his bride? I know you know it. The church. The bride of Christ is, is the church. Uh oh. So now, if you're talking bad about the church, you're talking bad about Jesus' lady. And you can talk you can bad about me all you want, but you talk talk bad about my lady. We're gonna have some problems, right? We're gonna have some issues, we're gonna have to work through. When you have this mentality that Jesus and the church are separate and you can love Jesus without loving the church, you can serve Jesus but not serve the church, you can give to Jesus without giving to the church, you can love Jesus but badmouth the church, hate the church. When you have this idea, you're in effect saying, Jesus, you're cool, I love you, but man, I can't stand your wife. I just can't stand her. You're great, Jesus, but your wife is just ugly, so ugly. I mean, I get so offended when I'm around her, right? Jesus, you're cool, but your wife is such a hypocrite. I don't like, can you just not bring her around, Jesus, because she's just a hypocrite. Can't stand, you're perfect, Jesus. But your wife, man, she's just imperfect. I don't want her. That wouldn't fly if someone said that to you about your wife or your husband, would it? Husbands are going, not fly, right? I don't think it flies with Jesus either. I don't think it flies with Jesus either. I was talking to Kennedy not too long ago, my eight-year-old, about something she was doing. I don't remember what she had done, um, like, Maybe start something that she didn't finish or quit in the middle. Say she was going to do something and not follow through. Something like that. Um, I can't remember. But whatever it was, I saw a teachable moment in my eight-year-old's life. And that's what we call them at our house. We call them teachable moments. Uh, Daddy has a lot of teachable moments. I don't know if you could tell that by me. But there are a lot of teachable moments. And there are times when there's rebellion in the ranks. Even the top of the ranks against my teachable moments. I'm not going to name names. sometimes there's some rebellion against the teachable moments, but I just persevered, right? You can pray for me. You can pray for me. But anyways, I said something like to Kennedy, we-, we just don't, we just don't do that. That's just not what we do. We don't do that. And she was like, what do you mean we don't do that? What does that mean we don't do that? And so I said, our family, our family doesn't do that. When we say we're going to do something, we follow through. When we Start something, we finish it. We don't quit and And this wasn't the first time I had talked to her about this, but not even close, but I could see that her, maybe she was old enough to start to try to wrestle with it, start to try to understand what I was saying. And so I said something like, listen, Kennedy, you were born into this family, not not some other family. You're a Mills. You represent me. Um, you, You may be a little Mills, but you're still a Mills, right? You still represent me as a Mills. Everybody knows you are my daughter because your name is Mills, not Jones or Smith or whatever else. Everybody knows that. And because I'm your dad and and not somebody else is your dad, then this is what it means. This is what it means to be my daughter, to be a Mills. I'm trying to get her to understand that, that who you are and where you come from and who you represent, that should affect the way you act, right? You should be grounded in that identity and it should affect how you live your life out. You should think through those things. Kennedy, a big part of your identity is that you're my daughter. And that, that means something. That's got to mean something. And I don't know how she said it, but basically she said, it's too hard, <laughs> right? Like, it's too hard. I can't. It's just a lot to think about. It's just too hard. I don't think I can really do this. It's, it's too hard. She's wrestling with this idea of expectations. And so I told her, Kennedy, you can do this. You can do it. I know that because I know who you are. You'll be able to represent us well because you are us. This is your identity. You are a Mills. You are loved by your mom and your dad. You are a cherished daughter. Buck up, camper. You can do this. Because of who you are, you can do it. Like when you were born, you were born into a family. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing, right? Right? You were born into a specific family. Sometimes the family you're born into is not the family you end up with because you're adopted into a different family. Like someone who changes countries, who becomes a citizen of a new country, wasn't born in that country, wasn't born a citizen of that country, but now they have changed them. You, your name was changed. Your identity was changed and you became a part of a different family. But for most of us, we're kind of stuck with the family we're born into, Right? And people will spend their whole lives either rebelling against that fact or accepting it. But either way, it'll affect the way you live. It'll affect the way you live. Being a Christian means that you carry the name of Christ. It means, literally, little Christ. Just like Kennedy is a little Mills, you are supposed to be a little Christ, you are representative of his family, the church. Your identity is founded there. It doesn't matter what you came from. It doesn't matter who you were before, what you did before, because now you're adopted into his family. To be a Christian is to be identified as a member of the body of Christ, the church. Listen, when you say Jesus is life or Jesus is the center or Jesus is everything, that includes all of Him. The fullness of Him that Ephesians 1 just said is the church, His body, His bride. Jesus has chosen to reveal himself to and through the church. He's chosen to relate to us, his body, the church, you and me. On this side of the cross, we look back at what happened at the cross and before, and we see everything through the lens of the church. This is the church age. This is the way God set it up to work. When you were saved, you were brought into the family of God, the church, you were to become a functioning part of a body. That that means a local church because when we say family and we say body and we're talking about church, we're talking about church little c, not church big c. We're talking about church, the local church, not the universal worldwide church. Nine times out of 10 in the New Testament, when church, the word church is used, it's talking about the local church, the church at Ephesus. The church that meets at Lydia's house. The church in Corinth. It's the the local church. Not some big, lofty, mythical connection to two billion other people who claim Christ as Lord. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the local church right here. It's right here. It's right now. This local church. This is your life. This is the body you are to serve in, give to, love. This is it. So with all that in mind, church is family, sure. That's not all it is. Church is mission, sure, but that's not all it is. It's bigger than even that. Church is life. And so for the rest of our time today, I wanna just kinda unpack two ways, two aspects of this, that church is life, How, what it means for us right here, because we've said behavior follows belief and defining things matter, and so I think it's important that we don't just get the church's life t-shirt, but that we understand what it means, right? And I think we should get specific about it. And so um, let me let me just show you a, a passage of scripture, but he, here's the first one, two ways that this kinda plays out in our lives, two aspects of this. Church, number one, church is life, life received. Church's life received. So look at Ephesians 5, verse 25 with me. It's a common passage, popular passage of scripture. You've heard it before. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the Present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The church is who Christ gave his life for. Church is that life, the life of Christ received. That's what church is. When the Holy Spirit enlightens your heart and your mind to the truth of the gospel and and you're saved, redeemed, made new by the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ, you are made a part of his body, the church. He gave his life for the church. Listen, we, we were dead. The church was dead. You and I were dead. God gave us life in Christ. We were totally dead and he raised us back to life through Jesus. That's what Ephesians 2 says flip a a page over back to Ephesians 2. It'll be on the screen, starting in verse 1. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When he says children of wrath, what he's saying is that you were born deserving the wrath of God. You weren't born in the grace of God. You were born deserving the wrath of God. So we are children of wrath. No chance to to change our family name. No chance to be adopted into a different family or change our citizenship. We were children of wrath. Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The church, the church is who Christ gave his life for. The church was dead, stuck in sin, hopelessness, loving the darkness, lifeless. And yet because of his great love for us, God, through Christ, made us alive. Romans 5 says it this way, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So think of the worst thing you've ever done, the most wicked thought you've ever had in your mind, that thing you did that you don't tell anybody about, that thought that passed through your mind that you don't ever utter out loud, the worst thing that you've ever done, the most wicked act or thought that you've ever been a part of. Think about that. It was in that moment when you were at your worst, it stuck in your sin with no thought of God, that Jesus looked down at you and said, I'll die for her. I'll die for him. They can do nothing to save themselves. They're worth nothing. And yet I'll die for them because I love them so much. That's when Jesus died for you and made you a part of the church while you were still sinners, when you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Why? Well, look at verse seven in Ephesians two, the next verse. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. Kindness just means that you are nice to somebody who who maybe doesn't deserve it, right? Mercy means that you did something wrong, but you got off for it. You, you were given freedom when you didn't deserve it, right? Uh, that's that's mercy. Grace is you were given something good that you couldn't possibly earn. And so When we're talking through this, we're saying that the kindness shown to us while we were dead and didn't deserve anything, and Christ died for us and gave us life, that kindness is what God is using to make his power and his name known to the world. Church is life received. Jesus gave his life for you and to you so that he could show his kindness towards us to the world. And that happens through the church like we talked about last week. Ephesians 3 said that. So spiritually, foundationally, church is life received. But, but practically too, right? Church was created to be this place where when you have needs, when you, when you are struggling, that, that you come to church for help. When, when you're struggling, you should run to Jesus. Absolutely, I get that. But he has given you what you need in his body, the church. Running to church for help is running to Jesus for help. You can't separate Jesus from church. The Bible says we find encouragement, hope, love, financial help, joy in the church. We mature in our faith because others in the church teach us, mentor us, disciple us. We are to study the word of God together in the church. We're challenged in the church. We're confronted, rebuked, corrected, held accountable, and then forgiven and restored in the church. And in case you're not getting it, when I say in the church, I'm not talking about a location. I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about coming to the offices to be counseled by a pastor so that you get these things or coming into this building to to get encouragement or what. I'm not talking about location. I'm talking about family, I'm talking about people, I'm talking about the body of Christ here at Great Oaks, you and me, all of us together, we are the church in tragedy, in trial, celebration, success, victory, in valleys, the lowest of valleys and the highest of mountaintops, we are church and church is life received in all of those areas, church is life received. But if that's true, then it must be more than just Sunday mornings, right? I mean, we can't possibly get all the things that the Bible is talking about we get from church, all these benefits. We can't possibly receive all of that by just showing up for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. We can't get all of that in a crowd. We just can't do it. It it has to be accomplished in, in some other way. At Great Oaks, this church... All this happens, church is life received in really practical ways at life groups. That's why we call them life groups, because where we do life together, we do that at life groups. That's where we go first when tragedy strikes, difficulties come, or when we're celebrating something God has done, we go to our life group first. We face all of life together in life groups. And this is the way the church is supposed to work. It's supposed to minister to itself. So when you go to the hospital, if, it's your life group that shows up, right? It's your life group that, that makes meals for your family. It's your life group that takes care of the kids. If you go to the hospital for three weeks and we don't know about it, that's because you, you've chosen to not be connected Because you've chosen to make this a place you go to instead of a people you belong to. Let me say that again. If you go to the hospital for three weeks and we don't know about it, that's because you've chosen to make this a place you go to and not a people you belong to. Because there's a difference. If you go to a hospital and 15 people from your life group visit and pray for you and they're there for you and they're helping you, but then when you get out of the hospital, you say, well, the church didn't care because no pastors came to visit me. Missing it, right? You're missing it because the church was there for you. Your life group, your family was there for you. If that's you, you're missing it. But listen, the reason that some of you aren't experiencing all the life that I've been talking about in church, the reason you aren't inspired and emboldened by this great grand mission that is the church, the reason you you don't feel like church is a family is because you have yet to take church from something you do on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half to something you're a part of. From a place you attend to a place you belong, a people you belong to. You have yet to take that next step towards God by jumping into a life group and being known by people and knowing people deeply, by going deeper with with a smaller group of your church family, from rows to circles, like Pastor Bill likes to talk about. You have yet to make that a priority. If that's you and you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, then doing life together with your church family is a huge benefit that you are just missing out on. And it makes no sense for you to continue down that path. It just makes no sense for you to continue that way. So make sure you sign up for a life group on your way out today. Take that next step. So church is life. It's life received. But I said I was going to talk to you about two things. Also, church is life given. Church's life received and it's life given. Ephesians 5 said that Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. He gave his life for the church. That means two things. One, you receive Jesus's life that he gave to the church. And two, you give your life for the church because he did. He gave his life, right? Church is not all about what you receive, about what you get. Church is about what you give. Romans 12.1, the Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A-, a living sacrifice, kind of a weird concept, right? A living sacrifice, because most sacrifices die. Like the whole idea of a sacrifice is that they really have one job and then it's over, it's a one and done deal. If you were an Old Testament person and you were bringing a lamb to to offer to God to be a sacrifice, that lamb has one job in one moment and then it's over, right? That's a dying sacrifice. That's a dying sacrifice. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 is talking about a living sacrifice. It's deeper than that. It means that you give your life to Christ, not only in death, but in life. You live it out. You sacrifice your life for his church every day. Church is life given. It's it's how you practically give your life to Jesus. You give your life to and through the church. Because remember, the church is his body, his bride, his chosen vehicle to carry the manifold wisdom of God. Listen, when we say things like, you need to give your life to Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus last fall, or whatever give your life i gave my life you give your life to jesus whatever we when we say that kind of thing what do we mean what do we mean by that i think a lot of us we think of it as this mystical thing maybe like a prayer in a moment or a realization of our sin and god's grace for us or or this aha moment where everything just kind of clicks when we talk about giving our lives to jesus some of you think of it as baptism you get baptized, and that's you giving your life. Some of you think of it as kind of reordering your priorities. I was running towards all this stuff, but now I'm going to turn, and I'm going to run towards God, and that's, that's kind of me giving my life over to God. For, for a lot of you, when we say give your life to Jesus, it's just kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? You were just given the option, like, should, do you want to go to hell, or do you want to give your life to Jesus? You're like, Jesus! <laughs> This is kind of a get out of jail free card. I just, hey, I'm just on a list and now I get to get into the party, right? Some of you, it's that. But in the Bible, when the Apostle Paul gave his life to Jesus, from that day forward, he gave his life to the church, didn't he? I mean, in Acts 2, when 3,000 people give their lives over to Jesus, when the apostle Peter stands up and gives this huge sermon, and the church is born, there was no church before that. 3,000 people believe, and they give their lives over to Christ. What, what did it mean that they became believers, that they gave themselves over to Jesus? What, what did that mean? Let's look at it together. It's in Acts 2, starting in verse 41. It'll be on the screen. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the beginning of the church. No church before this. 3,000 people give their lives over to Christ. What does it mean? Look at the next verse. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles' When the church was born, to believe, to give your life to Jesus, was to give your life to the church. Because Jesus has given, had given his life for the church, so it made sense, right? Jesus has done it, now we're following Jesus, so we're going to give our lives for the church as well, and we're talking about eternity, we're talking about the creator of the universe giving his life for you and me, we're talking about joy, peace, we're talking about heaven, we're talking about rescue, being saved, salvation, so, so with all that in mind, of course we're going to give our lives to the church, Jesus's body, it wasn't, it's was kind of a no-brainer, Right? I mean, of course we're going to do it. It's not, this isn't a hobby, this isn't a religion, this isn't a location, this isn't some gargantuan, two billion strong social club. That's not what this is. So of course we're going to do this. It's bigger than that. It's life. Life given and life received. And yet, somehow, 2,000 years later, It's not really like that, is it? I mean, few of us have found this kind of community, this kind of sacrifice in church. It's become something we do, not really something we are. It's about what we get. It's about the music we like, the length of service we like, teaching that's just funny enough, but not too funny, and just challenging enough, but not too challenging where we have to actually do something we don't want to do about a place our kids can have fun at and a place that teaches good morals. It's about feeling good. When we talk about church, we we say things like, man, the worship was really good today. Or, oh my gosh, it was so loud, I almost died. Even when it's not our first Sunday with a new sound system, right? (laughs) Believe it or not, we still get that. We talk about how, oh, Pastor Jake was hilarious today, or good grief, that was the longest sermon ever. People will leave churches because the music isn't their style or because they're not being fed. Somewhere along the way, church has become all about what we get instead of what we give. We've become consumers, takers, leeches. But in Acts 2, church was all about life given. You see, some of you are just confused. Your question is, should I serve in my church? That question isn't even on the table if you're a follower of Christ. Some of you ask, when is a good time to start serving in my church? Still not the right question. There should never be a time that you're not serving the church. The only question you should be asking is, how can I best serve my church? How can I best serve my church? And then do it because church is life given. If you're truly, if you've truly given your life to Jesus, you've given your life to the church because Ephesians 1 said that church is the fullness of Christ. Church is giving without qualification. Church is viewing tithe, 10% of your income and offerings above and beyond that as joyous giving, It's a natural outflow of giving your life to Christ, just like in Acts 2. No strings attached. Church is serving, caring, ministering, loving as a functioning member of the body of Christ. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't give, a Christian who doesn't serve, a Christian who doesn't love the church and sacrifice for the church. Because church is life. Life received, sure. That's also life-given. Let me just plead with you for just a moment, for your own sake, for your soul's sake, for the church's sake. I just want to ask you to step in. If you're on the outside, if you're on the fringe, if you're kind of figuring this thing out, or you're just like, hey, church, is just something I do on Sundays and I don't want anything else, I'm just pleading with you. Step in and then step up. Get involved, connect with other people, and then step up and begin to serve and be a part of the team that is taking God's manifold wisdom to the ends of the earth. Be a part of this thing. Don't make any more excuses. Get into a life group. Start serving in a ministry. If you're just now thinking like, hey, wow, I'm supposed to be giving and serving in a ministry? This is a crazy idea. I had no idea. I thought those people were all paid. I thought the greeters were paid. I didn't know. Maybe that's you. Well, now you know. We need help. So maybe on the way out, no more excuses. You just stop at the welcome desk, the connections desk. You talk with Pastor Bill. You talk to the volunteer who's there, who's serving. And you say, hey, how can I get plugged into a ministry? Tell me what the needs are. Here's my information. Call me. Email me. Get a hold of me. I want to start serving. I want to get on the team. Maybe you do that. I'm pleading with you. Step in and step up. Start doing what God wants you to do and what God wants us to do. And listen, stop making excuses about your finances. Just stop. Just stop making excuses and start giving like God wants you to give so that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Listen, if you, some of you struggle to write that check and you're like shaking when you're writing it, like, oh my gosh, this is so difficult and you're ruining like five checks in a row. If that's you, just go online and set it up recurring. That's what I do. Just don't make any more excuses. Don't let the enemy of your soul and the enemy of the church give you these excuses. When you leave here, do it now. Get involved now. And listen, I totally, listen, I get that you guys don't like when I talk about finances. Not just you, but all of you. Okay, I just walked over here. <laughs> Especially them, all right? You don't like when I talk about finances. I, I hear that, okay? I guess I, I guess I talked about it a couple times. I hear that you don't like me talking about finance. I don't hear it very often. But I get that some of you don't like when I talk about finances. But listen, when I talk about finances, giving to God financially, it's in a list of five or ten other things. Connecting, serving, giving financially, doing these other things, right? Raising your kids up in the Lord. It's in this list of other things. But I don't hear any complaints about the other things. Isn't that interesting? You know why some of you don't like me talking about finances? It's because you love money too much. And listen, I'll never apologize for talking about giving. Two reasons for that. One, it matters for your soul. I'm not saying when you give a dollar, you go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if there's something, anything in your life that you haven't given to Christ, you got a problem. You need to pray about it. You need to figure it out. Tracking with me? The second thing is that I'll never apologize for talking about giving because I believe in what we're doing. We were talking about it in a staff meeting this last week about mission and vision and what that is and what God wants us to do. And I told him, I said, I'll ne- it's never in, it's not even in the realm of possibility for me to, to, for me to shrink back from saying, hey, we need you to give money to this. Why? Because we're talking about a sea of lost people, a world of darkness that needs the light of Christ. I don't know. There's nothing else more important, right? I want you to hear that from me, from your pastor, that when I talk about money, it's not because I get a raise because I don't, all right? It's not like the offerings are up. Here's some extra money. That's not the way we work here, okay? LT leadership team can attest to that if you want to talk to them. That's not the way it works. I'm not looking for more money. I'm looking for more souls, I'm looking for more people to give their lives over to God, more people far from God in darkness to come to God and join the light, right? There's nothing greater. That's why why I don't have any issues talking about money. If you have an issue with me talking about money, I really think you might want to just pray about that. And I'm just asking, I'm pleading with you, step in and step up. Get involved in a life group. Start serving. Start giving financially. 10% of your income. It's called tithe. Start doing that so that we can win more people for Christ, so that we can be the church. And some of you are like, man, I don't think I can do it. It's just too hard. Pastor Jake, you're just so legalistic and you're so like, do this and do this and do this. and, And it's so hard. I guess what I'm saying is, Buck up, little camper. You can do it. You can do this. You know how I know that? Because of who you are. If you've given your life to Christ, this is your identity. Just like Kennedy is a little Mills, you are a little Christ. You are the church. Just like Kennedy is loved by her father and mother, you are loved by the king. And you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. This is who you are. That's how I know you can do this. It's your identity. And none of this is advanced stuff. This isn't AP material, is it? It's just the basics. But we start there. If we can't get the basics, we can't move on to trigonometry. If we don't understand addition, Trigonometry is out of reach, right? I don't even know what trigonometry is. You have to start with the basics. Right behavior follows right belief. If you don't know what something is, you don't know what to do with it, you don't know its value, you don't know how to act. But if you do, that's different. Ephesians has taught us in this series what church is. Church is family, church is mission. Church is life. If you love Jesus, you love the church. If you've given your life to Jesus, you've given it to the church, his body. There's no other way. So the question becomes then at the end of this series, what behavior do you need to change to line your life up with what the Bible has said the church is? What action do you need to take what in your life needs to be changed? What behavior needs to change to, to line up with right belief about what the church is and what it isn't? That's for you to answer. I can't answer it for you, but I would invite you to pray about it. Talk to your wife, your husband, your friends, your life group about it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that your grace and your mercy reign supreme, that when we mess up, when we don't hit the mark that... Um, your grace abounds, the Bible says. It increases and matches our imperfection and our inability to do what we need to do. And so I thank you for that. But right now, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just, Holy Spirit, that, that you would get through the pride, the pride that that gets in the way of understanding what the church is. And this idea of giving is just so tough, giving energy, effort, time, service, giving a night of the week to life groups, all of that is just... It's just, it's just against our nature. Our nature is to hoard and hold and stay connected with all of our stuff and not give it away. So I pray against pride and I pray against sin and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the church. Whatever is in this series, whatever has been from me, I pray that it falls to the wayside and whatever is from you, it would go deep into our hearts and the seed would find good soil and it would create faith and Bear fruit. Help us to be the church, Jesus, here at Great Oaks, the church like you want us to be. Family, mission, life. As we continue in an attitude of prayer and you've got your eyes closed and your heads bowed, the the idea of this time on almost a weekly basis is just that you sit for just a moment and you ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to say to me today? What is it that you're speaking to me today? What can I take away from this? Not, man, I hope my husband or my wife is listening or I wish my friend was here to hear this, but what is it you want me to see, Lord? As you're thinking through that, you might be in here and as I talked about church being life received, about Christ sacrificing himself for the church and you being grafted in and adopted into the family of God and that being a part of this whole thing, you were like, man, I don't know that. I don't have that. I've never experienced that. I've never given my life over to Christ before. All the things that you talked about, Pastor Jake, about encouragement and mentorship and joy and peace, I don't have any of that because I have yet to be counted as an adopted member of the body of Christ. uh, Somebody who's brought in, citizenship changed, family name changed. I haven't experienced that. If that's you, I just wanna invite you just in this moment to give your life over to Christ. Just right now, just ask him, Lord, can I be a part of your family? Help me be a part of your family. Holy Spirit, enlighten my heart to your truth. Let me be counted as yours. Transform me, change me, make me new. Just submit your life to him right now. Give it over to him. You don't need a special prayer or a certain incantation to make this work. You just need a heart that's right before God, that confesses, that asks for his help. Lord, I pray for those who have had the boldness to step out and, and slip up a hand and, and to, to really ask for you. I pray, Jesus, today that you would solidify the seed that's been planted in their heart, that it wouldn't find thorns or rocks or, or anything that would cause problems, that the enemy of their soul wouldn't swoop in and, and take the seed away when they leave this place, but rather your seed would find good soil, grow deep roots, and eventually bear fruit. We love you, Lord. We give all of this, all this series, all of what it means to be a church, all of connection and fellowship and discipleship and everything, we give it over to you and we trust that you're gonna convict us when we need to be convicted and you're gonna lead us when we need to be led. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.